morning. My name is Harold Furch, Scott Roth. I'll be your moderator today. Welcome to the Center for the Economics of the Internet here at the Hudson Institute. The greatness of America can be measured in many ways. One of those ways is when innovations, which happen often in the United States, uh, we often share those with the world, whether it's global positioning services or the Internet itself. The other part of the greatness of America is the uh, discussion of major issues, issues that uh, are decided not just at the top but are discussed broadly throughout the United States. Uh, and one of the issues that uh, has been occasionally mentioned in the, the press has been the future of Internet governance. And if you wanted to know about the future of Internet governance, uh, I think today we have here uh, some of the people who you would most want to hear about that from. Uh, and we're going to have uh, an informal discussion. Uh, this is, uh, uh, imagine if you can, we're, we're sitting uh, in someone's living room here in Washington on a fine spring day. Uh, and uh, uh, you have an opportunity to uh, bend your ear a bit and hear from some people who really know about the future of Internet governance. Let me introduce our panel today. On your far left is Ambassador Daniel Sepulveda. Uh, Ambassador Sepulveda is uh, heads up uh, uh, American telecom international telecommunications policy at the State Department. Uh, he has joined us uh, from a flight from uh, Dubai, uh, just arrived early this morning, uh, and uh, we're very, very pleased to have him with us. Thank you. Uh, Sitting next to me on your left is uh, uh, Fadi Shahadi, who is the president and CEO of ICANN, uh, the institution that uh, has been mentioned a few times in the media about the Internet governance. Uh, we're very pleased to have uh, Mr. Shahadi with us. Uh, he will be taking off later today for uh, many other countries around the world. Uh, to uh, on my other side is uh, Larry Strickling, uh, Assistant Secretary of Commerce uh, and Head of the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. Uh, Mr. Uh, Strickling has been um, uh, uh, heads up uh, the, uh, our government's telecommunications policy. And, and I have no travel plans. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Um, Sitting next to Mr. Strickling uh, is, is my colleague, uh, Robert McDowell, here at the Center for the Economics of the Internet, uh, former commissioner of the Federal Communications Commission, and uh, someone who has been uh, uh, deeply involved in uh, Internet governance issues over the years. Um, I'd like to begin uh, with just some of the uh, background about ICANN and uh, how it's organized, and almost a, a chicken and egg question. Uh, which came first, the Internet or ICANN? And uh, uh, Mr. Shahadi, could you please tell uh, our audience about, about ICANN? Certainly. Thank you, Harold. Thank you for inviting us to this uh, very civil conversation here this morning and uh, open-minded open conversation. Uh, ICANN uh, definitely came after the Internet, uh, but at some point in the evolution of the Internet, nearly 16 years ago, 
uh, it became clear that we need to organize ourselves to coordinate uh, three of the core identifiers that underpin the technical infrastructure of the Internet. These identifiers are unique uh, in that they make the Internet one Internet. Of course, as you know, the Internet is tens of thousands of networks that are linked together. But uh, what makes them appear as the Internet is the fact that there are unique identifiers that identify the various parts connected to it. I can coordinate and manages that these identifiers are working, that they're stable, secure. So when you type a website name, you always get to the website you, you wanted to go to. Or when you connect to uh, the internet with a device, it has a unique IP number that connects you to it. So 15 years ago, 16 years ago, the US government enabled the creation of ICANN with a great vision that I mentioned the other day. We think of the internet as a great American invention, and it is. An equally important American invention is the multi-stakeholder model that underpins the governance of the Internet. It's a model that's unique, that uh, frankly uh, looks like the Internet itself. It's a decentralized, distributed model to govern the Internet. Difficult to capture, just like the Internet. So everything in the ICANN structure was designed, frankly, brilliantly from the beginning, with, with good genius to ensure that all the stakeholders can participate equally, to build the policies and to manage these unique identifiers I mentioned without risk of capture. ICANN has done its job very well for 15 years. We have an unblemished record of delivering a stable, secure set of registries that underpin the internet, not a nanosecond of downtime in 15 years. That's what ICANN does today, and that's what ICANN will continue to do Um, Secretary Strickling, uh, could you tell us about the, the current relationship between the Department of Commerce and ICANN? Thank you, Harold. And again, I'd like to join with Fadi in thanking you for organizing this conversation here today. It's a, obviously a topic of a lot of interest, and I think it's good that we can sit down and talk about our, you know, what's been happening and try to clear up any misconceptions about the announcement and the implications of it. Um, so. Currently, the United States has a, um, uh, a very important relationship with ICANN, uh, and it's multifaceted. Uh, the one aspect of it that's been the subject of so much of the press discussion the last two weeks has been our role in terms of uh, a contractual relationship with ICANN under which it performs these I what are called the IANA functions, the, uh, uh, this, the activities that Fadi just described. Um, in addition, the United States is an important participant in the multi-stakeholder process at ICANN. Um, governments have a role as a set of stakeholders in the policy making at ICANN, and we participate as a member of the Governmental Advisory Committee, uh, which is the group by which governments are able to present consensus public policy advice to the ICANN board. Uh, but even beyond that, there's a, yet another relationship that we have with ICANN through our affirmation of commitments that ICANN signed with us in 2009, under which ICANN has committed to the international internet community uh, various things in regards to its accountability and transparency to that community um, and other matters that are uh, set forth in that document. Under that document, um, there are a, a set of review teams that operate on a regular basis, the most important of which is the accountability 
and transparency review team that has now gone through two cycles of work. Um, I have a seat on that uh, uh, team by virtue of the affirmation of commitments and have participated both in 2010 and again last year in terms of an overall review of the accountability and transparency of ICANN to its community. And, and out of that, we've made a series of recommendations that um, uh, ICANN uh, adopted in 2011. We gave them a report card on that last year with the second report and then made additional recommendations that the board is currently evaluating. Um, as Fadi mentioned, this multi-stakeholder process and the multi-stakeholder model of governance um, is a very important one in terms of uh, what has led to the growth and innovation on the internet. But for it to succeed, there also has to be a very strong commitment from the top down in these organizations uh, to be accountable and transparent to the stakeholder community uh, as a way to build the legitimacy and the validity of the work of these organizations. And so we've taken our role uh, in these teams very seriously to the point where I've spent personally many, many hours on these issues with respect to ICANN, and it's been an important part of our relationship in addition to the very narrow, specific IANA functions contract that uh, we uh, uh, made an announcement about three weeks ago. Uh, the, uh, some of the founding documents for ICANN and, and some of the uh, memorandums of understanding or contracts can be found at the, the ICANN website. Uh, I was looking at them just yesterday. It's really quite fascinating. Uh, some of the early documents describing uh, uh, the contract and then at some point it says uh, value of services in uh, uh, bureaucratic speak, it said less than $10,000. It's actually no cost. There's no, cost. no money that, that passes hands with respect to the IANA functions. Um, Secretary Strickland, could you tell us a bit about the uh, uh, review process of that relationship and how it's evolved at the Department of Commerce uh, over the past many years? Well, it has evolved, and I think that the, uh, um, the, the major document in that regard prior to our announcement on the IANA functions three weeks ago was the affirmation of commitments in 2009, because what that really set the stage for was much more of an internationalization of ICANN in the sense that rather than any continuing sense that the United States provided some sort of oversight of the operations of ICANN. It was very much expanded to include the community at large. So these review teams, in effect, are now um, a major way in which the community can provide um, its input and oversight to ICANN. And those committees that have operated since 2009 have been very international um, and have had representatives from around the world. This most recent accountability team that operated in 2013 had representatives, just the government representatives from Denmark, Australia, China, uh, Costa Rica were all members of the team as well as other international representatives from other constituency groups inside ICANN. So I think that was a, a very important uh, part of the evolution of ICANN back in 2009. And could you Tell our audience about the administration's proposal, and perhaps Ambassador Sepulveda would like to comment on that as well. Just um, the background on uh, uh, the proposal and, and uh, what led to, to the announcement a few weeks ago. Yes. 
So three weeks ago, um, we announced our intention to transition our role with the IANA functions contract uh, to the global internet community. And in doing so, we asked ICANN as the contracting party to convene uh, the global internet community to come forward and develop the plan for that transition. Um, nothing will change until the plan's developed. So there, I know there was immediate concern that somehow our relationship had changed at that time, and nothing's changed. It'll be status quo as this process moves forward. Um, in making this request, ICANN, we set some conditions around the transition and the plan that would need to be brought forward to us. We said that any plan needed to respect the multi-stakeholder process. It needed to preserve the security and stability and resiliency of the internet. It needed to meet the needs of the customers and partners of the IANA functions, and it needed to preserve the openness of the internet. And we also made it crystal clear that we would not accept a replacement for the United States that would be government-led or be an intergovernmental organization. So uh, we made that express right from the outset of all of this. Uh, in asking ICANN to convene the community, um, ICANN immediately, uh, within a week, uh, with its uh, meeting in Singapore, did convene uh, two large public sessions, as well as a large number of other conversations within the uh, individual supporting organizations and advisory committees as to how to organize the community to uh, move forward to develop a transition plan. So the first task has been how to develop a process to develop a plan. In doing so, we had made it very clear in our announcement that we wanted the other internet technical organizations, the Internet Society, the Internet Engineering Task Force, the Internet Architecture Board, the regional internet registries to also play major leadership roles in this process. So we weren't asking just ICANN to come back with a plan. We wanted ICANN to seriously convene the entire community to do this. And I think that was accomplished, um, at least the first stage of this, by the sessions that were held in Singapore. Um, so what we're expecting, and I'm sure Fadi will, can speak to this more directly, because it's now uh, ICANN will be uh, uh, facilitating this process going forward, but we expect the community to come together and organize itself to develop a plan that meets the conditions we put out. Uh, and present to us a consensus plan uh, at some point uh, when, the, when their work is completed. We had noted that the existing contract expires at the end of September 2015. Uh, we did not intend that to be a deadline uh, after which bad things would happen. Again, uh, there's been some misapprehension about the idea that we were trying to impose a deadline on this process, and we weren't. We were simply noting that and, and, of course, any work stream ought to have some sort of a schedule attached to it, and that seemed to be a good target date for uh, the community to look to. But the fact is the contract can continue on after next September. Uh, we have the ability to extend it by uh, exercising options of uh, up to four years and two two-year installments. Um, so the community will have plenty of time to develop a consensus proposal that meets the conditions that we've laid out. Ambassador sure. Sepulveda, would you like to describe uh, how the administration has looked at this and, and what some of the reaction has been from other countries around the world? Yes, sir, of course. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I give an immense amount of credit to Assistant Secretary Strickling for uh, putting together both the preconditions for the transfer of the IANA contract and taking the initiative to, to take this move and move it forward. 
in large part because, as, as Mr. Shahadi has said, uh, in 1998 when we transferred, the United States government transferred this authority to ICANN, there were 400,000 people in the world who were on the Internet, who were connected to each other over the Internet. Today there are 2.7 billion. And it is our policy and our goal to connect the rest of the world to this platform as well. And if you're going to have a global platform, it requires a global consensus on the underlying inf uh, governance infrastructure. And to that effect, uh, one of the things that, that this has done is moved not only towards, towards us in a stronger fashion, those, governing, those democratic governments that already supported us. So you saw the UK and Australia and others put out strong statements of support for this decision. Uh, you also see governments that were undecided. So you see the, the Brazils of the world. You saw the African Union put out a statement of support for the, for the transition. And what that's really done is shifted the conversation from one where people were wondering, what is the future of the Internet governance structure going to be? Is it going to be multilateral? Because swing states like Brazil and, and countries in Africa and others were leaning towards the views of some authoritarian states. Or is it going to be multi-stakeholder the way that America wants it to be? And this decision has fundamentally shifted that conversation towards mm -hmm. our point of view, that of the multi-stakeholder system. And it's brought more people into the fold to think about how that system is going to evolve in such a way that it can win not just global uh, acceptance, but global involvement mm -hmm. and, uh, and global embrace. And so I can tell you that the conversations that I have had at, in, just in Dubai, but uh, at intergovernmental organizations since the announcement, has been fundamentally different than, than before that. There is an understanding that America is open, that America is, uh, is truly, truly committed to the multi-stakeholder system and believes in it, really believes in the bottom-up structure, really believes that the idea that the engineers, firms, users, activists, academics, uh, and governments who are all stakeholders in, in the, uh, the underlying infrastructure and the future of the Internet can work together to fulfill the underlying goals of what is a, what is a global communications infrastructure that truly reflects not just our values, but what are essentially human values uh, of greater democratic participation, economic and social development. Um, Commissioner McDowell, um, this announcement has met with some uh, hesitation, skepticism from, from, from some quarters, particularly on Capitol Hill. Uh, could you describe some of the reaction of uh, some people to, uh, to the administration's announcement and uh, what's been taking place on Capitol Hill in recent weeks. Sure, and, and first of all, Harold, I, I want to uh, congratulate you on assembling this uh, panel. This has got to be the place right now for the discussion of this topic, uh, the trifecta of, uh, of big guns that you uh, brought in while I was on vacation in Italy with my family uh, <laughs> last week. Uh, uh, so meet, Meeting with a higher authority, too. Well... <laughs> Looking for extra help, yeah, no, but on this issue. No, but uh, I think what it really means is I should go on vacation to Italy with my family more often, and uh, you can actually pull these things off uh, very, very quickly um, when I do that. So, no, but this is uh, quite a coup for the Hudson Center, uh, Hudson Institute Center for the Internet, Economics of the Internet, and um, so I do want to thank uh, the, the three uh, officials, other than the former commissioners uh, who are here uh, as well, and my colleague. Um, for coming here straight from the airport, uh, on the way to the airport, waiting for the next airport uh, <laughs> uh, itinerary to come your way. Uh, these three gentlemen live in aluminum tubes at 35,000 feet uh, for the most part. So thank you for finding uh, this brief moment together to talk about this very, very important issue. 
And as I said in my Hudson blog post not, not long after the announcement, uh, this is a, a complex issue. It is nuanced. I cautioned people at the time from um, acting reflexively or impulsively uh, to, in, in any reaction to it. There's a long history here. Uh, there are a lot of uh, functions, and words matter. And I, I think I want to talk about words today. I also want to um, kind of operate from the Jeopardy school of uh, doing a panel, which is uh, some of my statements might be in the forms of questions. I have lots of questions. Uh, I've reviewed the Senate letter that came out this week, um, which I thought had a lot of very thoughtful questions, uh, some of which um, uh, Secretary Strickling uh, ha has already uh, started to answer. Uh, but this is a great preview. We get a chance for, to hear before the Senate does of what some of the answers to these questions might be. So this is a, quite a coup for us, just between you and me and everyone watching on C-SPAN uh, and all the press in the room. Um, but uh, so when we talk about multi-stakeholder, uh, historically that has meant no governments. Uh, these have been nonprofit, private sector groups. So the, the I-STAR groups that Larry mentioned, the Internet Engineering Task Force, the Internet Architecture Board, the Internet Society, those are not comprised of governments. Uh, governments certainly uh, show up to meetings, voice their concerns. Uh, they're not excluded. They have a seat at the table, but they don't own the table. So in my view, multi-stakeholderism means uh, that governments are not involved uh, in terms of actually making the final decisions. These are not, these don't have the power of, of law. Uh, they don't have the power of international treaties or international law. I think that's important, and we hear other terms, and these are for, we have a variety of levels of understanding here probably listening today. There are other terms like multilateral that gets confused with multi-stakeholder. Multilateral in diplomatic speak uh, means governments. Uh, same with intergovernmental, hopefully that's easier to understand, that means governments. International can mean governments, uh, you have to be careful of the use of that term. So there are terms of art that have been used for years, um, and so, Words here are very, very important, and I'm not trying to parse words, but I think we need to look very carefully at some of the words that are used. So there are a lot of concerns here. One, one is uh, the affirmation of commitments that uh, Larry talked about. Um, you know, can they be or will they be abrogated by treaties in the future? Uh, so once this cord is snipped, and by the way, I'm all for privatization. I'm all for the internet migrating further and further away from government interference. Uh, but once that tether, that last little tether of accountability is snipped, one of the questions and fears is, who can grab onto that tether? Will it be other governments? Will it be governments influencing things? We've heard that uh, one of the conditions is nothing will be government-led. What about government influence? And there are a lot of uh, questions here. Who would be on the ICANN board? How would ICANN be influenced? Um, there's the uh, Government Advisory Committee within the ICANN. Uh, what would its future role be? Uh, as we go down the road, too, we've seen with the, the 2012 uh, World Conference on International Telecommunications, also known as the WICKET, for the first time in this context, uh, the International Telecommunication Union, a treaty-based organization, essentially an arm of the UN, to oversimplify it. But we saw a move away from operating by consensus towards majority vote. That's huge here. That's very important with this. Is that going to be the future of internet governance? Or will it be consensus? And will it be consensus without governments voting? These are important questions. Also, what is the time frame? 
Larry mentioned that the contract um, has, uh, uh, it's up in September 2015, but it has some two-year terms after that. One question I would have is, I've heard, I've read that they, they're automatically renewable, so we actually might be talking until 2019. But, I, but from what you just said, it's not necessarily automatically renewable. So that's something I'd like yeah, to we, drill we down We would on. have to exercise the option. You'd exercise the option and always, always have that ability. Okay. Um, so uh, what about the idea of some sort of revocable trust? Uh, this is just something I'm posing, which is should governments become involved? There's, there's a, a release of this to the more of the multi-stakeholder, again, non-governmental, multi-stakeholder global community, uh, the way we have with the IETF and the mm -hmm. IAB and and Internet Architecture Board and, and the I-STARS, uh, we'll just call them that uh, for the umbrella term. But that should something go wrong, should there be government influence in the future that it's pulled back? One of the questions I've had with a, a global panel that I'm working with uh, Fadi on uh, and many other wonderful luminaries, I'm not quite sure how I ended up on that panel. Uh, I'm, I'm the one that doesn't quite fit there. But uh, Internet luminaries um, uh, is, the, is just the accountability. When something goes wrong, now, Historically, really nothing has gone wrong, but, and, and normally I'm an optimist, but um, I'm also half Irish, so I believe in Murphy's Law. <laughs> so when something goes wrong, what is the rule of law? Uh, how is it resolved? What is the process? Uh, how, how do we resolve these conflicts should something go, go wrong? Um, so then the developments in Turkey of the past couple of weeks are, are, are troubling. Turkey, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, and, and people should, uh, by the way, we do have, do we have a hashtag or a, a Twitter, or is it just at Hudson Institute for folks to talk to us? At Hudson Institute. At Hudson Institute, Hudson Institute uh, over Twitter. Just mm -hmm. wanted to give that a plug. We didn't have a visual plug, but uh, by the way, this is my first time in front of the new green wallpaper. It used to be blue, so uh, they just changed their color to green. Um, we're, we're trying to be green here at Hudson. But, uh, and we are, literally. And as Kermit the Frog says, sometimes it's not easy being green, but uh, today we are. Uh, so what can we learn from the Turkey experience where there was uh, a state-created national root zone file? Uh, so uh, what does that tell us about technical abilities? Um, so I have a lot of questions, and others are asking a lot of questions. I think they're all uh, legitimate questions. And uh, I want to you know, congratulate uh, uh, Larry uh, for, for launching the, the process and making it transparent. We know that uh, this will probably go on for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, these complicated things tend to take longer than one expects initially, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm delighted that here at Hudson Institute we have the, the first crack outside of Congress uh, of talking to the three of you all um, for all Thank these questions. You. Thank you. Let me turn first to Mr. Shahadi, and uh, Rob has teed up several questions uh, about just the governance of ICANN itself, and mm. um, I'm sure you're hearing these questions all the time. And, uh, yeah, please tell us uh, uh, ICANN's uh, uh, view of how, how this might play out. Let me be clear on a few things regarding the announcement of NTIA, then I'll talk about ICANN. Mm -hmm. Let there be no question that ICANN itself is not rushing that process. We do not want to rush this process. We want to get it right. We have one chance at getting this right. So the fact that there is uh, talk of a deadline, it's nonsense. There is no deadline. Uh, the U.S. government has many years on this contract. We will move in a very calm and judicious way with the community through that process because we know 
that if we come back with the wrong proposal that does not fit with the clearly defined guidelines of NTIA, it'll be dead on arrival, as it should be. In fact, I would not bring a proposal to Larry that does not meet these guidelines because it hurts ICANN, it hurts the Internet, it doesn't serve anyone. So I, I want to assure everyone that we are completely aligned with NTIA on the importance of doing this in a very measured way. All we're doing now is starting a very good process of discussion. Uh, we, we couldn't even tell our community when we met them in Singapore any framework. We agreed we will li all literally sit just as we're sitting here and spend hours having people come up and tell us their ideas. The, the genius of the bottom-up model is that it sorts itself out because everyone has a voice at the table. And now we're just listening to people not on the substance of the proposal we will send to NTIA. We're just at the stage of saying, how do we do it? How do we get organized? Who meets? How often do we meet? How do we report on when we meet? What is the transparency measure? So this is all about process now, and we'll take our time. There's no rush. It is important also to note that along with the public consultation we started on responding to NTIA's request for a proposal, on the same day in Singapore, we started a second public consultation aimed squarely at how do we make sure ICANN itself as an organization remains accountable through this transition and beyond this transition to its commitments? Because we need to make sure that neither ICANN on its own ends up changing its constitution and being something it is not today, that does not adhere to the core principles we believe in, or that there is an external force on ICANN that captures some of the mechanisms that make ICANN what it is. So we are having that conversation as well. It is extremely important that, frankly, many of you here and many of the people watching us understand that we have a public process to assure everyone that ICANN will remain accountable. And what does that mean? It means that we ensure that anyone involved in the ICANN affairs has clear mechanisms of to, to watch what we're doing, so full transparency, to keep us accountable through mechanisms maybe like reviews, maybe audits, external independent audits, and mechanisms of redress, that when people feel that we're not making decisions according to our processes, that they have a mechanism to go and get redress and appeals. So these are important discussions that we are having right now at ICANN. And I view that these discussions are very complementary to the discussion of responding to NTIA's request for a proposal on how we replace their current role in the stewardship of our functions. These two need to happen. They need to happen in parallel. And they need to have a timeline that is similar. Because once the US government does the right thing, and you can see, you heard from the ambassador, uh, Ambassador Sepulveda spoke very eloquently about the immediate value we're already getting as a global community and as a country. So we need to continue these two things, but as this value increases, as we strengthen our role as a global leader, we need to make sure that we manage these two tracks together and we get to a result 
before the United States steps away from its unique involvement today. Before, I insist, we will not let go of this important role the U.S. has played before we are all comfortable that both the transition will happen smoothly without risk of capture or security to the Internet and that ICANN will be accountable under every possible scenario. Uh, uh, Chairman Walden spoke about stress tests and scenarios to ICANN. We will put together a whole framework of stress tests. We will study every possibility that could uh, uh, come at us in the future and ensure that we strengthen our accountability mechanism. One last thing on this. A lot of people say the role of the United States has been symbolic. So what if NTIA steps away from that role? But symbolism is very important. Yes, it may be symbolic. NTIA has no operational role in what we do. It's true. We do our functions without their involvement operationally. But symbolism to the world has allowed the multi-stakeholder model to survive and become very successful. So that symbolism, once we remove it, has to be replaced with clear strength and clear safeguards. And we will be at the forefront of making sure these are in place. I, I just need to jump in because I want to make it clear. We're not going anywhere near as far away from this as, as perhaps you're thinking based on the discussion so far. All we have put into play here is that very specific role we play with the IANA functions contract. In terms of what we actually do, all we do is serve as a check on the accuracy of, of changes to the root zone file, meaning they are first, all the policy is developed through, at ICANN through its existing multi-stakeholder processes. That may then lead yeah. to something, a change being uh, uh, administered by the IANA organization at ICANN. It comes to us. We look it over. Again, it's largely a clerical task. Verify its accuracy, and we send it on to VeriSign, who actually does the updating and maintenance of the root zone file. So all we have said we were going to do is um, we need to step out of that particular aspect of this, um, at which point there's no longer a need for us to have a contract with ICANN to have it perform the IANA functions. We are not going anywhere with respect to our role in ensuring the accountability and transparency of ICANN. We are not going anywhere with respect to our role to engage with other governments through the Governmental Advisory Committee on the public policy aspects of ICANN operations. So, um, so it's not as if we're closing up shop and saying we're done here. Um, we're talking about something that's very narrow, very specific, and is largely going to be, I think, addressed by the existing customers of the IANA functions in terms of whether there even needs to be a replacement for that particular function we perform. Frankly, it, maybe it can be done machine to machine and, and no replacement for that aspect of, of this needs to be uh, developed. What has happened though, and Fadi referenced this, is that it has led to these questions being asked that have always been in existence about ICANN. They were in existence at the time we did the affirmation of commitments, which is to whom is ICANN accountable? How does one enforce their accountability commitments? Um, and so we are currently operating under the affirmation of commitments. 
Um, and it is important that to the extent that our announcement is now going to lead to renewed action and energy and engagement of everyone to come back and refocus on those questions, that's a good thing. Um, but it is not what we have actually teed up in terms of the announcement we made uh, three weeks ago. So there has been something of a, of a, of a merging of these uh, issues and questions, almost metaphysical questions about ICANN and whom it's responsible to, that have always existed in the organization that have now come back to the surface as a result of our announcement. They are important questions. They need to be discussed. We will participate in those discussions because we have a stake in the, in the outcome of that. Um, but it is not something that somehow um, we, we've created some vacuum by virtue of our announcement because that's just not the case. All it's done is refocused attention on questions that have always existed about the organization. Carol, if I may also, Please. when uh, Secretary Strickling says we, he's speaking obviously about the U.S. government and NTIA. But the we should be clear to everyone is much broader than that. Every major American company is at ICANN. They're at the table. Cisco, Verizon, AT&T, Facebook, Google, and, and the list goes on. They're all engaged. They have been engaged for years, and they will remain engaged. Our civil society institutions, our centers, they're all there at the table. This is a true multi-stakeholder environment. And whilst the role of uh, NTIA and the U.S. government and the State Department in our affairs is critically important, and as Larry said, must remain, and, and we trust it will remain, and it should remain, we should also strengthen the presence of our own uh, businesses and our own institutions. Uh, I just appointed a full-time senior executive at ICANN focused solely on bringing business, more businesses to the table. We're very keen on ensuring that the voice of the private sector is there. Hey, Ambassador Sepulveda, um, you've heard many of the concerns that have been expressed on Capitol Hill and the media and elsewhere. Uh, how do you view some of the uh, concerns? Uh, uh, are there some that fit in the category of, you know, this just reflects not an understanding, or are there some that you say, you know, actually these are the core issues that we need to be focused on going forward? Uh, having worked on Capitol Hill for a long time, whenever a, a big decision like this is announced, you know, everybody sort of assesses it and gives their first sort of gut impression. Yeah. And from, from the first gut impression, you've heard a number of expressions of concern about some of the things that Commissioner McDowell talked about in terms of what is the worst-case scenario and how can we avoid the worst-case scenario. It's a fair, fair question. Uh, and I think the, the, the underlying issue, when Secretary Kerry was in the Senate, he worked with Mr. Rubio and Ms. McCaskill on, on, the, on the legislation that was passed unanimously in both bodies in favor of the multi-stakeholder system. So we are united with our colleagues uh, across the aisle in ensuring that the, the preservation of freedom and the preservation of, of the multi-stakeholder system. And I think the, under, the first question that is asked that, that Mr. McDowell raised and others is, well, how, do you, how are you going to keep ICANN from being taken over by government? And the fact of the matter is that ICANN is not the UN. ICANN is an organization that is structurally set up to not allow any one stakeholder to take over the system. So I, governments can no more take over ICANN than Google can take over ICANN, or than a single academic can take over ICANN, or a single engineer can take over ICANN. Uh, now, if we need to look at the structure to ensure that, that there are 
proper mechanisms in place, and, and I think that's part of the process that's going on now, so that there are checks and balances and accountability. Uh, that's that's clearly those are all perfectly valid questions. I think uh, I think we, we will be working in, in briefing the Hill regularly on how this the the process that uh, ICANN is convening, bringing the stakeholders together, will answer those questions and ensure that the proper protections are in place. But ultimately, uh, I think at the end of the day, we're all going to be in a place where, and we should be in a place where there will be uh, a united American position in support of what, what should be a pragmatic solution to the challenge. Commissioner. Keep bumping into the microphones. Um, can we talk a little bit about process and uh, you know, was, is there a sense that people on Capitol Hill were surprised by the announcement or uh, is there a sense that, uh, as uh, Secretary Strickland said, this is really just sort of the first step and no final decision has been made and this is going to go on over a period of years and so this is just a, a, an announcement of a, of a process? Uh, what's your sense of how this is being perceived in terms of the, the process here? Well, because it's, it's complex and nuanced, uh, the, the, I think the tendency, especially in the mainstream press, is to oversimplify it, um, as with many things regarding the Internet. But um, so, but given uh, the fact that Secretary Strickling, Ambassador uh, Sepulveda, and, and uh, Fadi have been saying that this is going to be a long process, uh, a couple of years at least, it sounds like, um, I think the more it's talked about, um, uh, and as more people, as, as key policymakers get more sort of educated on this, um, they'll start to understand a little bit more. I'm not saying they'll start to buy into a plan. Um, I'm actually, uh, it was encouraged by Ambassador Spolvitz's just remark, uh, recent, his remark just now that uh, uh, you prefer to have consensus here at home before the plan is uh, adopted. And I'm, I assume that's the administration's uh, position. That was one of the questions I had. But um, there are a lot of moving parts to all of this. Um, but I think there are legitimate questions, too. I think the Senate letter, for instance, has a lot of terrific uh, questions in it. I'd love to drill down two more with what Fadi was uh, saying about, or maybe it was Ambassador Sepulveda, about um, the structure of ICANN and how it can't be controlled uh, by a government or a company uh, or an academic or any, you know, any uh, single entity. Uh, how does that work? How, what is the structure? Who appoints the ICANN board? What would that look like going forward? Maybe that's not fleshed out in the proposal yet, but like, if we could drill down on that, what what guarantees are there? How, how does that work? Is it, uh, How can it not be subsumed somehow or its functions abrogated by treaty uh, well, on a majority vote? Plus, you need to understand exactly what the ICANN board does because it's not a typical board in terms of uh, setting policy. Its job is to acknowledge that consensus policy has been developed by the multi-stakeholder community. So even in that regard, what the board does is somewhat limited compared to, say, a corporate board. But um, with that caveat, I think Fadi can go ahead and respond to the other part of your question. Uh, and uh, I acknowledge that uh, my boss, the chairman of the board, is, is here in the audience sitting with us, Dr. Crocker. Good to have you. Uh, uh, and, and Dr. Crocker uh, was a guest here at the center uh, just uh, just last year. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Um, this is an important question. I've served many boards over the years. This is probably 
one of the toughest boards I've served because it's not a typical board. It's truly a community board. <coughs> we have 16 board members and multiple, several additional liaison board members who are non-voting, who participate in the discussion, but they cannot vote. But of the 16 board members, 10 are elected uh, through the community. For example, one uh, young lady was just elected to the board. She will start in September. It took a year almost for that process to happen <coughs> through our community. She represents uh, the community that has 160 user chapters around the world. We call them at-large structures. And when all of this bubbles up uh, at the top, we end up with all of them picking one board member. It's very hard to capture that kind of process with 160 uh, chapters in 100 countries all over the world leading up to that one board member. And then you could draw that process for every board member. The businesses select someone. The nonprofits select one, and so on and so forth. Then we have an independent nominating committee that selects the other six board members. Uh, their last selection, for example, is the executive director of a great business school in Paris called INSEAD. Uh, Bruno Lanvin uh, is the board member they chose. So you look at the level and the quality of people that are coming and the processes by which they come, you end up with an extremely diverse board uh, and a board that <coughs> is really elected through very deep and long processes that have their tails into the communities. It is important to note that all 133 governments at ICANN do not have a seat on the board that is a voting seat. And they will not by the design of ICANN. However, the, the, the chairperson they pick for their grouping called the GAC or the Governmental Advisory Committee, which today happens to be the representative of uh, Canada, she sits on the board as an observer, as a liaison. She cannot vote. So it's important to appreciate that when you look at a board like that and the structures of change and re-election and so on, which we shouldn't get into in, in deep detail, but it's all on our website, it becomes very, very difficult uh, under any scenario for that board to be captured. And finally, it's important to note that we are a California corporation. We operate under U.S. laws, under California laws, and our board is responsible uh, to these laws. And so whilst, as Larry said, our board does not make policy decisions, our board's job is to ensure that the processes were followed, that the multi-stakeholder model is upheld, all the things that we committed to are in place. We have many bodies within ICANN that make policies and bring advice to the board. Uh, but the decisions on policy are made by the community bottom-up. And that's powerful, by the way. I invite any of you here who haven't been to an ICANN meeting, it is far more fun than Disneyland. You should come. It is remarkable. It really is a remarkable exercise. The next meeting is in London in June, and the one after that is in Los Angeles. If you can't get to London, do come. But it's an exercise in the purest form of democracy. You should come. You should watch it. Our meetings are open, free, inclusive, beamed around the world, live in all the UN languages plus Portuguese, it is incredible. Everything we do is transcripted on our website. And we're about to announce Open ICANN. So you can systemically go to our website and search for anything from any system. 
So ICANN is a very transparent organization, and we were rated recently by Transparency International as one of the most transparent organizations. So there's a lot to, to, to see and to appreciate in how the system works. Uh, as I joked at the hearing on the Hill the other day, I can hardly change the coffee uh, brand in our cafeteria without somebody in the community saying this was not a bottom-up decision and will report you to the ombudsman. <laughs> and it does happen. I've been reported already multiple times to the ombudsman. It's a tough community, but it's a community that watches thousands of volunteers watch every step we make and ensure that everything's bottom-up and everybody has a voice. Please come and experience it. It's quite impressive. Uh, I grew up in Orlando, so I've been to both Disney and ICANN meetings. I would challenge the contention that they <laughs> um, But I, I want to address a question that Commissioner McDowell raised, which is how do you keep an international treaty from either abrogating or usurping the ICANN's authority? And that's not a new challenge. Uh, countries have been proposing to take the naming and numbering authority away from ICANN and give it to the United Nations for many years. And what we've done as the United States is perform created and worked in an alliance with Europe and Japan and Canada and all, all your typical democratic actors to ensure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And what our challenge is, is to grow that community of, of nations that realizes that we can have faith, we can trust in the underlying infrastructure of users, firms, engineers, activists who are performing an excellent function. The legitimacy of the underlying multi-stakeholder system is its success mm -hmm. and no one can deny that success the ultimate defenders of it is not our government it's the users and the firms and the, the stakeholders themselves not just here but around the world when I go around the world or when Fadi goes around the world and talks to young people who are creating businesses and are starting innovative new firms and those firms are born global on the internet they are just as passionate about the system as any of us here on on this on this platform are Ultimately, it's, it's a winning message, uh, and, and, uh, and I think that those alliances will hold, and th but those are two separate conversations. It would take an action of the United Nations, agreed to by the nations of the world, to abrogate and usurp the authority of the ICANN, and the United States will not allow that. Well, let me push back on that just a little bit. I want to drill down just a little bit, which mm -hmm. is at the wicket, that was a treaty negotiation mm -hmm. that ended up being a majority vote, all right? The United States couldn't stop it. In fact, almost all of Europe actually almost voted. Well, but, that. So, but let me stop you there for a second. It was a treaty negotiation on which regulations were being negotiated, and there was a 55 to something else split. Those, those, that, that is not um, binding on the United States because we're not a signatory. And the question of naming and numbering in the operations of the Internet is wholly different than an international telecommunications regulation treaty, in part because the actors on the internet would have to recognize the root and recognize and respect the decision of the authorities. And at the end of the day, one of the things that we've done, because that was an anomaly, the vote on the ITR was an anomaly in the ITU, it's a consensus-based organization, is we've recommitted ourselves and worked very hard to ensure that, uh, that the organization itself understands that it needs to return to consensus-based processes. And we've gotten the commitment of the Secretary General, the existing one, and we will fight for the commitment of any future Secretary General to return to the consensus-based system. Let me, there's a little bit of a debate point, I think, then, because leading up to the wicket, there were proposals before the ITU and at the UN for the 
domain name function to be subsumed by the ITU or a separate UN body. Specifically, that this is, I'm not making this up, it doesn't take uh, any imagination, it's in black and white, and people can look it up, mm. number one. Number two, the current Secretary General. And we've General, defeated them all. Well, but barely. The secret and the momentum is going in the wrong way. Uh, the, the, the number, well, the, the momentum is going the wrong way because you had a revolutionary change yeah. uh, at the wicket of a departure from consensus to majority vote. And let me go back. The Secretary General, the current one you're speaking of, who is now recommitted to consensus, was also committed to consensus before the wicket, and it didn't happen at the wicket. So commitments by any Secretary General, and he's just got a few more months left in his term, um, and then we have a new Secretary General likely to be from China to head up the ITU. Uh, so these are all legitimate areas of concern. The, the direction, the arrows are pointing in the wrong direction, not the right I, let, I, but, but I let agree me, with your goal. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Okay, let me, let me respond in the first instance. Yes, these are legitimate concerns. As long as there are authoritarian nations in the world that want to usurp and use international law to achieve authoritarian ends, legitimate concern. I totally disagree with the idea on the trend lines. The idea that Brazil in almost all of the countries, the 12 countries that are part of the 24-country multi-stakeholder uh, multi committee that is, that is putting to Brazil together, of those, a significant number of them voted for the ITRs. Their very participation in the Brazil conference in not just a multi-stakeholder process to set up a decision by which to move forward, but a commitment itself from those to the multi-stakeholder process shows that the trend lines are actually moving in the other direction. The commitment of the African Union to our announcement in favor of a multi-stakeholder system for ICANN it shows that that organization, which was in support of the ITRs, is moving in our direction. Ultimately, I would say that the trend lines are quite clear in our direction. And the, that is a function of our commitment to both diplomacy and actions like the decision that the Assistant Secretary has taken. Yeah, I, I, I want to jump in here, too. I think the efforts, and Danny deserves the credit for this in terms of what he's been doing for the last two years, have really been, I think, to change the debate in the developing world. I think in some small way our announcement on the IANA functions helps that uh, momentum as well. But the fact is you are now seeing Brazil taking leadership in terms of expanding the multi-stakeholder model. You're seeing the African Union coalition say, uh, we support what the United States is proposing and we want to participate with other stakeholders to uh, develop the transition proposal. So you're seeing a, a much broader acceptance of this among uh, the developing world that didn't really have a, a, a hard stake in the debate you know, with the authoritarian regimes, and they are very small in number. They have no ability by themselves to affect the kind of change that people are worried about in writing editorials about. The key here is, are we meeting the needs of the developing world? Have we um, expressed to them and shown them that the multi-stakeholder model can meet their needs? They want a growing, thriving Internet in their countries. They want to share in the economic uh, growth and the innovation that... Uh, uh, has attached itself to this. They just don't have the same level of experience with this model as the, as the United States and other countries in the developed world have. Uh, and so it's a, it's a slow process. But, you know, the, the efforts of Danny and the State Department, I think, are immediately, are now giving and showing the dividends that come from 
paying much more attention to the needs of these countries, understanding how what it is that they're looking to do to bring the benefits of the internet economy into their countries, and showing them how the multi-stakeholder model can deliver those benefits to them. Um, and I do agree with Danny, the trend line is very much uh, moving our direction on that, on that idea with the developing world. But, yeah, I think we're going to fundamentally disagree on the trend lines and a couple of other things. Um, but also with the, the definition, I mean, one thing we should probably explore further, and I know we're running out of time, we need to have time for audience uh, Q&A from the press as well, but the redefinition of what is multi-stakeholderism. There are governments out there who think that that involves the state. Uh, the current Secretary General has said to make the Internet more democratic, governments should control it so, uh, and have a stake in it. So there are uh, some very powerful countries with lots of client states, each of which have one vote at the ITU, uh, which can achieve the goals they're looking for. And these are legitimate questions to ask. So I do disagree with the trend lines, but I, I also Robert, want to make sure uh, we move on. If I can, Commissioner McDowell, um, I think your concerns uh, and the alarms you're raising should keep us on our toes. We should not think that we are uh, necessarily we have prevailed yet. I was at the wicket with many of us here. And uh, frankly, at the wicket, people were looking for solutions on how to solve their issues, internet governance issues, and we didn't have good answers. We kept saying, all we know is they can't be solved here. If we go back to Busan later this year for the next big conference, and when they say, where do we solve X? We say, not here. Well, how about Y? Not here. That's not sustainable. I agree with you. But what we've been doing, which you heard from uh, Ambassador Sepulveda about, we've been energizing a process to show these governments that there is a way, a place for them to solve internet governance issues beyond ICANN. I mean, ICANN is one part of this, but there is much more than ICANN to be solved in a multi-stakeholder way. And the target for us is not necessarily the countries at the edge that we know have their regimes and their agendas, and we're not going to change these folks. But let's all remember that at the Wicket, we had over 150 countries in the middle that were quite lost, and they didn't know where to go. Singapore voted with Russia to approve the ITRs. Something is wrong with that picture. Why, why did these middle governments vote the wrong way, many of them? because we didn't have good answers for them on where to go to solve multi-stakeholder issues. We've been working on that. The fact that the president of Brazil flipped completely in her position and went from making a speech at the UN, asking the United Nations to step in and address these issues, within a month to announce a multi-stakeholder conference on internet governance and invite many of the middle countries that were lost in Dubai South Africa, uh, Ghana, South Korea, all these countries in the middle that were, didn't know where to go, they're all part of this conference. We have the glimmer of a solution, and we should support it. We shouldn't lower our guard, because we don't know what could happen. But the trend lines, I agree, are actually starting to trend our way. We, the announcement of NTIA, which now I hope you see in that picture, is actually helping in that trend. 
Because when we go to governments and we tell them, the middle governments, I'm talking about the middle governments, not necessarily the edges, and we tell them, come along for the multi-stakeholder ride, no government control, distributed governance of the internet, and they say yes, but the one example you guys have of multi-stakeholder management called IANA and ICANN, you know, you say no government control, but, but our government. That doesn't quite work. No, you can't say no government control, but our government should, should control. So I think the decision of uh, NTIA is remarkably strategic in that it actually tells the world we mean what we say. We mean no government control. Now, of course, we're going to put the safeguards we discussed to make sure that we don't end up in the wrong place, and, and I'm with you on that. But strategically and globally, I think the U.S. government is doing uh, the world a huge service by making that move at this time and inviting more – you heard even President of Brazil? She said after the U.S. announcement that that actually opens up the focus on them and a lot of their allies focusing this conference on a multi-stakeholder roadmap forward. Now, I'm heading down to Sao Paulo, and I'll be there for many days. Uh, I was invited, as you know, to be co-chair of the conference. And we will make sure that heads in the right direction for all of us. But these are all good trends, and we should support them. Our companies should support them, our companies. I keep calling for our companies. I know we're all talking about the U.S. government, but we need our private sector involved. We need our civil society involved. All of the good people that believe in an open Internet, that's the moment. That's the moment. Um. conversation has been so uh, enlightening, I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, uh, switch it off for a minute. Um, uh, Secretary Strickling, do you have uh, further reactions to, to this conversation uh, uh, about uh, how you see this playing out? Well, I, I associate totally with uh, Danny and Fadi in terms of um, where I think this is headed, uh, the positive trends that are emerging, and the importance of bringing a focus to these larger questions of Internet governance and not getting totally uh, caught up in the immediate issues of ICANN and the IANA functions. It's a very small piece of the larger debate that I'm glad we're getting into today. Um, and certainly from our perspective, um, we are, are quite cognizant, as Danny is, of defining the role of governments in this space. At ICANN itself, um, there has been an issue about the effectiveness of the Governmental Advisory Committee. Now, it does operate by consensus, and I think that's very important. I think it's also important, contrary to some positions I've seen expressed recently, that governments have a seat at the table mm -hmm. at ICANN to be able to provide input into it. Because if you were to say, uh, put the walls up and say government's not welcome, governments can't participate, cannot have input. All that does is fuel their desire to take this to an intergovernmental organization. So it's been important, and certainly is in the work we've done on accountability and transparency uh, going back to 2010, we paid a lot of attention to making sure that uh, governments had the discipline through the GAC to provide consensus advice and to clearly articulate when they were providing consensus advice. And at the same time, we were hard on the board in terms of making sure that 
having received consensus advice from the GAC that the board would take it seriously as they're required to do under the bylaws. I think that's been a major improvement in the operation of ICANN over the last uh, two or three years. Um, and I think it, it, again, has improved the credibility and the legitimacy of ICANN in the eyes of governments around the world because they can see that they can come to the meetings, they can express their views, and they can work with other governments to provide consensus input into the process. I think that's important. It's a feature of this we're going to have to continue to look at. It'll be important that governments subscribe to the final outcome of this planning process and will we'll need to be involved in that. So those who would say governments have no role participating in the process, I think, are just wrong. Um, again, that's a much different question than saying the government should be given the control of this at the end. That we're all opposed to. Um, but I think one way, and again, this goes to um, Rob's comment about how nuanced and complex this is, you, you have to understand governments need to be part of the process, and that actually increases the chances that they don't demand to be the solution at the end of the day. Well, Secretary Strickland, you, you began by describing how this uh, we've started a process, uh, and we'll see how this plays out in terms in the default position is we can renew the contracts if, if uh, things don't move in the right direction. How will the administration decide whether we've reached uh, the right point to, to move forward with the transition and What are the internal processes within the administration to make that decision, and what is your sense of what you're hearing from Congress about how involved they will ultimately be in that process? There's a, a real thirst on Capitol Hill, and I think in, in all elements of the community, to know what's going on and to be kept apprised of that. We certainly understand that, and we will do whatever we can to make sure that um, not just uh, our legislators, but all parts of the government are kept informed of this as the process proceeds. Um, I think that's a key aspect to this. At the end of the day, nothing happens unless and until we get a consensus community proposal presented to us. Um, and, it, and then at that point, it'll have to be one that meets the conditions that we've laid out in terms of the announcement we made three weeks ago. Um, the specifics of what process might be employed at that point in time haven't been worked out. I think it's premature to, to think about that. But nothing happens unless and until there's a consensus uh, community-based uh, proposal that addresses and satisfies the conditions that we laid out. We have just a few minutes left. I'm going to open it up to the floor for some questions. Uh, we have a microphone that will be circulating, a couple of microphones. Uh, I'd like the speakers to please uh, uh, identify themselves. And um, as we have a question right over here, uh, please identify yourself for our audience. And, uh, press your question. Good afternoon. Uh, Philip Corwin. Uh, a question for uh, CEO Chahadi, though I welcome comment from any of the other panelists. Uh, three weeks from today will be the day after the conclusion of the Net Mundial yes. conference. Whatever transition plan discussions take place within the ICANN community, there will be other discussions on broader internet governance issues going on other places. My question is, uh, I think perhaps more important than the NTIA announcement is 
uh, a line in the Montevideo statement of last October, of which you were a signatory, in which the participants in that meeting called for the globalization of ICANN and IANA functions towards an environment in which all stakeholders, including all governments, participate on an equal footing. A and that's kind of a fundamental change. Up to now, ICANN has been private sector leadership, governments in a subordinate advisory role. If governments become equal stakeholders, wouldn't uh, two questions, wouldn't that imply that some changes within ICANN, mm. perhaps the GAC becomes more than advisory. Mm. Perhaps the non-voting head of the GAC becomes a voting member of the board. A and, my and maybe this is all fine, but how do we guard against the natural tendency of governments not to want to be equal stakeholders, but to want to be in charge of things? Yeah. And clearly, the natural instinct of governments is to want to be in charge. Uh, that's not lost on any of us. Uh, I've met with the vice president of a big country in Latin America that was telling me, listen, the internet is very powerful. We like power, so we're going to control it. And I think he was the most plain spoken one of all. I mean, he, he, sp he spoke about uh, in a way that I think uh, probably goes through the mind of many governments. So we are, we are very aware of what governments would like to do. But in that statement that you just read, it's very important to look at the choice of words we put. We use the word participate, not make policy, not uh, run. In other words, we need to make sure everyone can participate. It's the participatory nature of the multi-stakeholder process where everybody needs to be equal. No one should feel that I can't participate because I'm a government, or I can't participate because I'm from Africa, or I can't <coughs> participate because I don't speak English. Participation has to be on an equal footing. It doesn't mean every opinion will be adopted and every idea will be taken on. So the participatory nature in ICANN must remain completely open. Governments are welcome. They have an equal seat at the table to participate. But then the structures within ICANN that define what roles people play and how the board is structured, these are in our bylaws and they're very well defined. And the test to touch these is huge, as you know, Phil. This is not something simple that uh, we could meddle in uh, there are very high tests, and we will stress test these things. And it may require us to put belt and suspenders into the bylaws to make sure we do not find ourselves uh, in this. And you are right, by the way, Phil notes an important point because at the recent meeting that uh, we had in Singapore and you were there with us, you heard the Chinese GAC representative make a proposal that maybe the governmental advisory committee should become a policy-making committee. And he asked me the question uh, publicly. Uh, and clearly, that would be counter to how ICANN is organized. So I invited him to participate like everybody else in the policy process, participation and open, but that the advisory committee had an advisory role and it stays this way. But these are important things we should guard. Could I add just one thing? In terms, I think that some of the concern is the idea that if, when you think about government stakeholders, that there are government stakeholders and then there are private stakeholders. So there are only two sets of stakeholders, which would give each one an immense amount of power. And that's not how the stakeholder system works in ICANN. Government is one stakeholder, but there are many, many others. Yep. And then within government, each government has equal footing to each and every other government. And, and governments do not act uh, in coalition in that sense. So I think that it's important to understand the structure in order to understand the relative risk 
of, of any outcome. Yeah, and, and just to emphasize, the GAC, the Governmental Advisory Committee that, uh, that was mentioned many times here, uh, is a consensus-based body that can only produce advice. That's all they can do. And consensus, to get 133 countries to build consensus, is not easy. So when they do agree on anything, it takes an enormous test for them to even come back with an advice that they've all agreed on. And that's a good thing. We should keep it this way. Whoa. Question on this side over here. Gentleman with the check shirt. Thank you. Peter Roth with U.S. News. Um, uh, Mr. Shahadi, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. You, 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 you talked about ICANN being a Los Angeles-based corporation, governed under U.S. law. Now, there have been numbers of stories in the international press that part of your long-term objective is to move to Geneva, severing that connection. If you'd like to put that to rest now, that would be helpful. But um, my, my larger concerns have to do with the fact that when you were in Brazil, you know, the president of Brazil seems to be taking the position in a way to try and organize the non-aligned stakeholders, if you think of the way the Chinese tried to organize the non-aligned nations during the Cold War in the 60s as a block that would develop a consensus that would control the Internet. Uh, that her position is that uh, the United States has lost the right to maintain what benign small governance oversight it maintains because of what happened with the NSA. And that you certainly appeared uh, in what I've read in the international press to have agreed with that position. So that this is, that this is actually punishment for the NSA misbehaving, not some kind of international step towards global governance. And then also giving us some, some concerns is that you've just brought into ICANN in a senior position, not on the board but administratively, the fellow that shut off the internet in Egypt as they were busy trying to tell the world what they were trying to do to depose an authoritarian regime and replace it with a democratic government. I would suggest that none of this secures in the minds of those of us who, through our tax dollars, helped pay for the construction of the Internet and then gave it to the world, that freedom of openness, freedom of access, the ideas of freedom of speech that inculcate the U.S. Constitution and the values of this country mm. continue to carry the day at ICANN and continue to make the Internet work. Because without freedom of access and freedom of speech, the Internet doesn't work. It doesn't work for commerce, sure. and it doesn't work for information. Okay, you have three questions. Let me answer them first with a statement. Uh, no one has worked harder to make the Internet remain open. No one has built more companies on this panel and in this, uh, in this place than me. My children work in the Internet. I work on the Internet. And for years, I've raised uh, over $100 million to build companies uh, in this country to support an open Internet. So let me start with that. Second, I did not say that I'm moving ICANN to Geneva. This is speculation because we opened an office in Geneva. We opened an office in Montevideo. We opened an office in many places uh, in Singapore. Uh, so people conflate things because they'd like to. But if you can find a statement where I said we're moving to Geneva, I'd like to see it. And if I can't change the coffee in the cafeteria... I can't even make that decision. I told you I can't even change the coffee. So the board will have to make this decision, and the board can't make this decision without community agreement. And do you think our community will agree to move 
thousands of contracts we have today that are working marvelously in California to another place? Why would we do that? So let's stop the speculation on this. I have no plans to move ICANN to Geneva. We have an office in Geneva. That's the end of it. Uh, on your second question, please acknowledge what the President of Brazil did in a major flip on the day I visited her. Because the day I visited her, she had made a major speech at the UN in which, indeed, as you said, she was proposing that the UN is the place where she will get back and solve her problem. I engaged with the president in a very diplomatic discussion. And I told her, fine, I acknowledge your frustration. Many of us acknowledge your frustration. What's the solution? How do you plan to solve this issue? And quite frankly, she looked at me and she said, I don't know. I said, so why did you go to the UN? Where else do you want me to go? I said, you forged the path forward. Why don't you take the leadership? Why don't you set up a conference based on the multi-stakeholder model that, in fact, in Brazil, they've used for many years? And she loved it. On the spot, she made a decision. She set up the conference. And that day, she tweeted three times that she's now going to support the multi-stakeholder approach to internet governance. That's a huge uh, change in a position that we should welcome from the president of a country, like you said, that has the ability to build a huge middle coalition, and she did. And one important but critical note, she picked 11 countries to join her in the sponsoring of that conference. Out of the 11 she picked, 10 are middle countries, is what I call middle economies, middle countries, you know, Germany, France, Ghana, etc., Tunis. And then what's the 11th country? The United States of America. And that's a sign that she was not telling the world, walk away from the U.S. She selected the United States. And I'm very glad that Ambassador Sepulveda responded positively and accepted her invitation. And now the U.S. is a co-sponsor or a member of that high-level uh, committee running the conference. And your third point, which is the one that will get me even more passionate than this. It's about my colleague, Dr. Tarek Kamel. Dr. Tarek Kamel was hired at the same time I was almost. Uh, he used to be the Minister of Telecommunications in Egypt, a member of the Internet Society, uh, one that brought more Internet to Africa single-handedly than anyone from a policy standpoint. He is for an open Internet. He's the father of the Internet in North Africa. One day, the real story of what happened when the Internet was shut in Egypt will come out. But Dr. Tarek Kamel is much too humble to come out with it. You can ask my team there. We've been begging him to speak the story. He is saying, it's not my place, and I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. But I will tell you this, because I was very, very upset when this keeps coming up. Uh, Tarek put his life on the line that day, his family's life on the line that day. And he slept on the floor in his office for three days while the smart village in Cairo was surrounded by people who had escaped the prisons, Muslim brothers, refusing to leave until he turned, he al they allowed him to turn it back on. One day we'll recognize him as a hero of the open internet. But for now, I'll leave it at that. And with that, stories about heroes of the open internet, uh, I uh, 
wish we could continue longer, uh, but I promise we have a hard stop at 12.30. Uh, I, I, please give, join me in a round of applause for the heroes of the afternoon.